And so today we're going to be looking at the baptism of the whole, in the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is in a very important subject, but the problem is it's, is it's overlooked in a lot of Christian circles. And it's overlooked for a couple of reasons. The number one reason is a lot of people think it's weird, which I agree. We all weird. God is not weird. God is in the business of drawing people to himself. Now, I will also say that it's gone too far the other way in some circles where we put too much emphasis on just the experience of the baptism and not living out the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the love and the fruit of the Spirit maturing in us, we've missed the mark on the power of what it's really about. And so today's message is actually called Purpose and the Power. We have to be able to marry both of those two thought processes. We've got to be able to marry the fruit of the Spirit, which is... The Holy, what the Holy Spirit produces in me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentle, you know, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And we also want to get to the side of, say, guess what? Where on the day of Pentecost, where they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues. I also want us to have that. Why? Because that's the power that gives us the purpose of the fruit. Because if I just try to live out the fruit of the Spirit, can I do it? No. I, I couldn't do it this morning. But yet, we have people who say, yeah, I just want to live the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that's great. That's a great goal. And then we have people over here who get baptized in the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and they're like, oh, I got it. Yeah, but you're mean. You're missing the fruit. See, we need to marry the two. So it's not weird. It's actually a maturity that's walking together with Christ. I was watching a, a, a speech from Tim Enlow this week, um, who's an evangelist that teaches on the Holy Spirit, and he goes, really, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about Jesus. It's about surrendering more and drawing nearer to Jesus, because what is the Holy Spirit's job? To come and teach us everything Jesus says and hears from the Father. And so when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not a weird thing. It's a God thing to help us live the life that we're called to live. Acts, I'm going to go through a lot of Acts today in the book of Acts. And Acts 1, 4, and 5, it says, Once when he was eating with them, this is Jesus speaking, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he has promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, see, we can read Scripture, and we can go through Scripture. And, and Scripture, actually, I'm going to give you five verses in a little bit in the book of Acts that shows clearly that salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the people who got baptized were already saved. Jesus, just before this, has said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit and breathes on them. And it says he breathes on them. And so they receive the Holy Spirit of salvation. You all have received the Holy Spirit of salvation. The baptism in the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with your salvation. It is the empowerment and the power to live out the life God's called us to live. That's, that's what it is. See, there's, there's five major encounters you are all going to have with the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and you can go through Scripture and look at them. And most of you have probably encountered all of them. In John 16 and 8, it says, And when he comes, 
He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So the first thing we see the Holy Spirit does in our lives is convinces us and convicts us of what's wrong. How many of y'all ever felt that? So you've experienced the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. Now, the beautiful thing with Jesus and the beautiful thing about God is he doesn't condemn us of our sins. He saves us from our sins. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is what the Bible says. None of us perfect. Not even me, as much as you all think I am. Have some fun with God. It's okay. But he convicts me of what I've done wrong, and in the process of my convictions, he draws me into his love. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, I want to draw you in. I want you to feel peace. The second thing is the regenerating and cleansing in Titus 3, 5. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, Jesus, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of and regeneration and renewing Holy Spirit. So see, the second thing, and all of you are here this morning, because you've had that cleansing, you've said, guess what? I know there's something busted in my life. I need more. And Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for it is easy and my burden is light. And then we get to regeneration and we get cleansed and say, okay, better now. Now I can step out and do what I want. And we try to start leading, that, leading Jesus around and say, Jesus, follow me. Instead of us following Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's like, whoa, slow your roll. And you're like, no, no, God, I got this. And then he has to regenerate us and cleanse us again. And see, it's an ongoing process with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. We get the assurance and the guidance from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? How many of you guys see yourselves like that this morning? You are the temple of the Holy God. I don't know, that's heavy, ain't it? But that's who you are. That's how much he thinks of you this morning. He says, you are my temple. I will live inside of you. And then we get the maturing and the sanctification that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. And the fifth one is the empowering or the anointing in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we read about in Acts 1.8, where Jesus is telling his disciples. He just got, you know, we just got through reading 4 and 5 and jumped to verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. See, we've talked about it a lot here. Truly what I believe. My salvation is personal, but it's not private. Jesus is saying, I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit, not to make your life simpler, not to make your life better, but so you can spread my name to everyone you come in contact with. That's why I say this church is, is a great place for us to meet. You all the church. You know, at our old church, they used to say church starts when we leave. That's when church really starts. We're getting together to build each other up, to edify, to encourage each other, to get excited about what God's doing in your lives. Why? So we can go out and share that excitement with others because that's what the Holy Spirit empowers us for. 
He doesn't empower us for us. He empowers us for others. See, the book of Acts, as I was saying earlier, gives five specific stories of believers being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The first time was on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 1 through 3 says it this way. And on the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. See, from this inaugural event, we get the term Pentecost. Why? Because it happened 50 days after Easter. Pentecost just means 50. So we can take a shot in the dark saying, guess what? 40 days it says Jesus was alive and made himself and proved alive to his disciples and his followers. And then he said, go wait for a few days. And now there's arguments, is it seven to ten days? Depending on when you want to start, start the, the countdown. So I'm not going to go into that today. But understand, the book of Acts says, guess what? These people were already, they had already been with Jesus. But Jesus said, go wait for the power, the gift from the Father. And when he comes upon you, you're going to be witnesses to me. And so that was the first time. The second time we see the infilling, infilling happen in Samaria. Philip preached Jesus to the city. People were believed. They were baptized in water. But none of them had been baptized in the Holy Spirit until Acts 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, then they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then P Peter laid his hands on them and the believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So they had already received the gift of salvation. They had already heard Philip preach about Jesus. They were baptized for the, rem you know, for the remission of their sins, it says. It says, that's what I went down in the water, dead with Christ. I came up alive with Christ. That's the, that's the symbolism of water baptism, as I go in death with Christ, I come up alive new in Christ. I'm making a public declaration that, guess what? I love Jesus. And that's what it does. Next, you see a disciple named Ananias came and prayed for the newly saved apostle Paul. Remember, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Big light, boom, blind. And Ananias says, guess what? He lays his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 10, Peter was preaching to a group of non-Jews. Suddenly they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were there listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking their tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? See, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't something that's set aside for special people. It's a free gift God wants to give to everyone. The last example is recorded in the book of Acts in Ephesus. There, Peter had discovered some disciples who had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul baptized them in water and then laid their hands on them. And then it says, Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. See, as you can see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a regular occurrence. 
to new Christians. People got saved, and they got baptized in water, and they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It wasn't you got to go to a six-week class so you can learn everything. It's do you trust God that he's going to give you the gift that he promised. That's what we're praying for this morning, is that we've received the free gift that God has offered us. It's not about a show, honestly. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about emotion. It is about receiving Jesus. And I don't ever want it to get to that point where it gets to be emotionalized. Because, and I'll, I'll say this again, I've said it before because our former superintendent said it. Too often we put too much emphasis on the speaking in tongues. We just do. Because, as I said before, jokingly, I've seen it happen. Some of the people who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and I know speak in tongues are just mean. They're just some of the meanest people I've ever met. But we, we had placed so much emphasis on that that if you didn't speak in tongues and speak a certain way and did, didn't get, you know, I've seen people trying to coerce people. I don't know if you've ever been to churches where they, you know, they put their hands on your forehead and then they smack you and you're supposed to go to the ground. Um, or they try to push you over. Yeah, we ain't doing that. Now, if God knocks you over, let God knock you over. I've, I've had that happen. I'm not going to say that don't happen. I've ended up flat on my face before God. So I know the Holy Spirit will knock you down, but we are not going to force it to happen. We are going to receive the Holy Spirit and let him do what he wants through us. I know a gentleman who has now passed away, great saint of God, never spoke in tongues, and always struggled with it. He had more of the fruit of the Spirit in his life than anybody I had ever met in my life. But he struggled with the fact of a theology. See, I don't want to get tripped up by theology. I want to just let God move. And if God wants to have you speak in tongues this morning, I want you to just let go and speak in tongues this morning and don't worry. And if he doesn't, don't worry. Just seek Jesus. Because Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. I'm not. Me laying hands on you is not. Because there are other places in Scripture I can show you where the apostles didn't lay hands on people and they got filled. See, when we go back to Acts 2, 1 through 4, what happened to Peter? Remember, just a couple of months before, at the trial of Jesus' crucifixion, a slave girl says, hey, Peter, you're one of those guys that hangs out with Jesus. And Peter says, uh-uh, not me. Get away from me. I don't know what you're talking about. Three times he denies Jesus. What happened 50 days later in his life that caused him to step forward with the other 11 apostles and shout to a crowd of people, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews, residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Know what you are seeing was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon who? All people. I'll pour out my, on your sons and your daughters. They'll prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and the signs in the earth below, blood and fire and clouds and smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. What caused Peter from denying himself Jesus in front of an eight-year-old little girl to proclaiming in front of a nation, Jesus is the only way? I can only find two things. He spent time with Jesus, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. You want more power to reach people? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power. Because, again, you can read in Scripture back when Jesus said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go to the city. I'm going to have to be crucified. And, and Paul, Peter stands up and says, not you, God. I will go with you. I will die with you. And Jesus looks at him and goes, oh, poor Peter. You don't know what you're talking about, dude. You are going to deny me three times tonight. See, when we try to do what God calls us to do under our own strength, we will always. It will never produce the fruit that God's called us to do. And so when Peter sees the risen Christ and obeys the risen Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit, he starts to have the power to proclaim Jesus as the one and only Son of God without worry about the cost of repercussions. Because you read later on in Acts, dude just gets bold with the Pharisees. He's like, you guys know Jesus, the one you all crucified. When he, after he heals the guy at the gate, beautiful. That's what he tells him. The one you guys crucified, that's whose name healed this guy. So he basically punched them in the face metaphorically. Sorry, that's me. That's just who I am. It's okay. Lighten up. And so the first thing we see and we understand today is that at the end of the day, Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. It's not something that's meant to be weird. It's not something that we should be scared of. It's actually a time of drawing closer to Jesus. It's trusting Jesus and experiencing Jesus on a new level. It's what John meant when John said, I must become less so he can become more. See, in all four Gospels, John the Baptist is talking about someone who is greater than he is. John, when, when John was baptized and the Sadducees and Pharisees came to him, and, you know, why are you doing this? Is, are you the prophet? Are you this? Are you that? And John's like, no, I got none of that, none of that. And John answered the questions by saying, I'm going to baptize you with water, but someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater than I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's in Luke 3.16. You got to love those 3.16 verses, don't you? I actually did a study on that one time. See, spirit baptism is not about whipping people into an emotional frenzy. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not make us better, more holy, or superior to other Christians. In fact, the baptism of the Holy Spirit should produce a greater servant's heart in us to serve other people. Because remember, it's the witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. And in John 16, 13 through 15, this is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, 
but, I, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So see, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've got a de- direct connection to the creator of the universe. Because Jesus said his pur- one of his purposes was what? To come and do the will of the Father. And who's his Father? God, the creator. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to remind you of everything I said, and he's going to tell you exactly what I tell him to say, because everything that's the Father's is mine, and everything that's mine is the Spirit's, and he wants to give that to us to do what? To change the world. How many of y'all happy with culture right now? It's okay. You can all raise your hands. We ain't got the video on today. Nobody's going to see you. How many of y'all all want to see culture change? See, I don't. I want to see people's lives changed. When the church becomes a representative of the kingdom and mirrors the kingdom, it will change culture. We will never change culture by t- trying to change culture. What does Jesus say? He says, follow me. See, so as we follow Jesus and we're baptized and we have that baptism of the Holy Spirit power inside of us, we go around and naturally what happened in the New Testament is culture changed who they were and what they did. They didn't argue their points. As Christy and I were talking this week, you've heard me say it before, we all know how to defend a lion. You open the door. And let him out. See, don't think you have to defend Jesus. Just open the door and let him out. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are different than you. Don't argue with what you think is right. Let Jesus and the Holy Spirit give you the words to bring hope to situations where there is none. And we will see more lives changed, I believe, when we truly just start representing Jesus instead of trying to convince it people about Jesus. The second thing the spirit baptism does is it causes us to be a better witness for Jesus. And Acts, again, 1.8 says that you'll be witnesses to me. What does a witness do? No, seriously, that was a question. Tell us about what they've seen gives an eyewitness account of what they've experienced or what they've been a part of. See, that's why we need to spend time with Jesus. Because in order to be a witness to Jesus, we have to spend time with Jesus. And it's not 45 minutes on Sunday morning. If all I did was come up here and preach a message once a week for 30, 35 minutes, You just stole it from someone else. What has my life accomplished? Nothing. See, I need to spend time with Jesus so I can share with you guys what he's been talking to me about. Because most of the stuff I preach is just what me and God have been talking about and the stuff I need to get right. The third thing we see in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is we become more like Jesus. 
Acts 2.33 says, Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. See, Peter understood and had met now with the Holy Spirit. He had seen the risen Jesus. He had spent time really seeking Jesus. He had spent time receiving forgiveness from Jesus. Because y'all remember when they went out fishing and they didn't catch nothing? And some dude from the shore says, hey, how's it going? And they say, we ain't caught nothing. He's like, throw some over the right side. They're like, no, we just did that, but we'll do it anyways. And John says, hey, that's the master. And Peter, jump again. Peter, yeah, he, (laughs) I, I love Peter. Dude was just impulsive. Just jumped out the boat and swam. And Jesus spent time with them and sat there and says, hey, let's have breakfast. Apparently they had fish for breakfast back then. I don't know. But he cooked, sat down and cooked some fish. And they sat down and they ate some breakfast. And he looks at Peter and said, do you love me? And Peter's like, Jesus, you know I love you. And then, and Peter, and then Jesus looks at him again and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he's like, Jesus, you know I love you. And he goes, but Peter, really, do you love me more than these? And he's like, Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Now, Jesus just said, guess what? Those times have been forgiven. Walk with me. Because after he had done that, he said, get up and let's walk. Some of y'all need to receive Jesus' forgiveness this morning so you can walk with Jesus. You need to understand that God does not hold those things against you. He wants to forgive them. See, unlike the enemy who will call you out by your mistakes, Jesus calls you out by your name. And your name is redeemed. Your name is victor. Your name is a conqueror. Your name is his child. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, when we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Holy Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. How many of y'all ever woke up praying? I did this morning in the little time I slept this last night. I woke up and I'm like, in Jesus' name, amen. And I'm like, what was I just praying about? <laughs> it was like... in the morning. But I woke up. Why? Because I went to bed last night seeking God. Okay, God, I want to see you do something. I want to see you change lives, God. I know it's not a message I preached this morning that's going to change lives because my words are worthless. But Jesus, you are everything. You can change lives. You can bring new life. You can bring forgiveness. You can bring healing. And so this is me going to bed last night praying for you guys and for me. And I, I want to see God, and I, I'm serious. You know, I got a little smirk on my face, but I'm serious. I want to see God freak you all out and touch your lives in a new way today. It may not happen today, but I'll pray it happen tomorrow afternoon when you're driving down the road. Or you're just standing at home having breakfast. Or you are, going, you are at work, and all of a sudden you just get a weird grin on your face. And somebody comes up and says, why are you acting so different today? And you say, because I spent time with Jesus. Guess what? You already all are weird. People are going to think you're weird anyway, so just tell them the truth. Why do you think I have no problem within five minutes talking to most people they are going to hear about Jesus? I know who I was, and I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. And I want to bring as many people as possible with me, because there ain't no better life that I've ever lived than the life I'm living today. 
the stress of building a building, the running of building a building, the running of worrying about bills, the running about praying for you guys and thinking about you guys and what else can I do to become a better pastor for you guys. All that stuff pales in comparison to when I sit down and say, guess what? Jesus says it's not about you, Gene. It's about me. And I'm like, okay, God, you're right. I'm an idiot. Let's go out to the woods. I get up early in the morning. That's what I did, too. I get up early in the morning, and I just went out. And Jesus said, yeah, pray for the people. But understand, I want to meet with you. As a pastor, that's a smap in the face. See, Jesus cares more about meeting with me than me getting you guys to meet with him because he wants to meet with you, but it's a personal meeting he wants to have. Jesus had to remind me that, guess what? My relationship with him is about me and him to share with you, but I've got to have it right first. So as we finish off this morning, I'm going to have Sean come forward, please. And I can too, you can come forward. We're going to play some light music. I want to finish off this morning and give you time to pray. Some logical reasons that Tim Enlow talks about why tongues and speaking in tongues is associated with a confirming sign of spirit baptism. The first one he says is speaking is our chief main means of communication. We talk to share our ideas, our thoughts. The second one is the main outcome of spirit baptism is empowered communication. The Holy Spirit will give us the words that we need when we need them to talk with people. James 3, 3 through 8 says, all humans struggle to control our own tongues. And it's always the last thing we surrender is our freedom to say what we think we should. That's why a lot of times people struggle, I believe, with the initial physical evidence is we, we don't want to let go of it. We'll think we're weird. Again, I don't care if you do or not this morning. I just want you to baptize in the Holy Spirit this morning. So what I want you to do is to draw close to Jesus in prayer this morning. Set aside your thoughts, your wants, your desires, and just focus on Jesus for a few moments this morning. Him crucified, his cross, his love for you, his forgiveness for you. And then ask. The Bible says all we have to do is ask and the Father will give us the gift he's promised. And then believe that you've received. <laughs>